This is Lawyer to Lawyer with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi, two of the top web bloggers in the legal profession. And yes, they are attorneys, one from California and one from Massachusetts, squaring off on legal news and legal observations. Lawyer to Lawyer is sponsored by Law.com, right here on the Legal Talk Network. Welcome to the Legal Talk Network and Lawyer to Lawyer. This is Craig Williams from sunny Southern California. And this is Bob Ambrogi from Massachusetts. I write a blog called Law Sites, another blog called Media Law, and also Legal Blog Watch for Law.com. Well, Bob, today we're going to be talking about legal funding. That's right. Uh, legal funding is uh, a, a topic that really has sort of uh, come into uh, the mainstream of the discussion uh, within the legal profession over the last few years. Uh, some say it's one of the fastest emerging financial trends in the legal business community. It certainly is. And it has a lot of people interested in the topic. And today we're going to be exploring what's new in the industry of legal funding, talking to a plaintiff attorney about what goes into a case with the assistance of legal funding, and discuss the ethics and statutes and regulations that apply to that funding. Today I'd like to welcome Gary Chodes. Gary is the CEO of Oasis Legal Finance and a founding member of the American Legal Finance Association. Gary has testified on matters related to consumer finance and insurance in over 30 state legislatures, as well as the U.S. Congress, House of Ways and Means Committee. And as other states begin to follow suit with their own regulations of legal funding, the structure of the industry will gain clarity where it was once ambiguous. Oasis Legal Finance is one of the nation's foremost litigation business finance sources and a firm that underwrites commercial litigation. They provide non-recourse funding to relieve the financial pressure of personal litigation cases for plaintiffs enduring unfair settlement offers and who need monetary assistance while waiting for just retribution. Welcome to the show, Gary. Uh, Great to be here. Thank you. And also joining us today is Robert Hawley. Robert is the Deputy Executive Director of the State Bar of California, where his areas of responsibility include, among other things, oversight of the State Bar's Office of Legal Services, Access and Fairness Programs, and substantive oversight of the State Bar's Professional Competence Unit which administers the Bar's Ethics Hotline, the Committee on Professional Responsibility and Conduct, uh, and the State Bar's Professional Responsibility Publications and other functions related to the development of California's rules of professional conduct. Welcome to the show, Robert Hawley. Um, Thanks, and I'm happy to be here. Um, I would like to make one note that while I am employed by the State Bar of California, uh, none of the the comments or thoughts that I express here can be attributed to to the State Bar. Certainly understandable, Robert. Our next guest is Ron Kramer. Ron has been practicing law for 11 years in the state of Utah. His primary focus is personal injury law, and he has a small practice in sexual harassment cases. His work is plaintiff only, and he has helped his clients to profitable settlements in over 200 instances. Ron is a member of the Utah Trial Lawyers Association, and he's recommended nine clients to get non-recourse legal funding. He has been quoted as saying that legal funding allows more time and the freedom to work on the case. It also allows me to create more value, unquote. In full disclosure, we want to let you know that Ron is a client of Oasis Legal Finance. Welcome to the show, Ron. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, Gary Choate, let's start with you and ask if you could uh, maybe set the stage for us a little bit by telling us uh, what are we talking about here when we're talking about legal finance and and, and what, what does your company do in this area? Sure. Um, I think you know a couple things are important to keep in mind. That this is a, it's a newly emerging financial service, but it, but I think uh, you hit the nail on the head. It's it, it's rapidly um, g- 
gaining acceptance and the amount of activity has increased you know, significantly over just the last couple of years. The, the essence of the transaction is, is fairly simple. It's allowing um, a consumer, and, and typically consumers will be involved in, in lawsuits for um, the most typical kinds would be, would be basic injuries from uh, things like car accidents and uh, getting hurt on the job, a workers' compensation claim. Um, and legal funding allows that consumer to get access to some money now while their claim is pending. Um, and the other, the other uh, important feature of this type of financing is that it's, it's non-recourse, just to make, make sure we get that term right, non-recourse, meaning the, the consumer is only required to repay that advance if there are any proceeds um, in, their, in, their, in their case or in their claim. So if the case settles successfully for some amount of money, they would be required to pay it back. Uh, but conversely, if there's no proceeds, uh, they don't have to pay it back. So does this mean that the funding goes to the consumer or to the lawyer? Uh, in the case of what we're referring to as legal funding, the, the money is going to the consumer, and the use of money is going to be for, uh, for, for personal and living needs. And uh, in, in the kinds of situations that, 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 that our company and our industry see all the time, uh, there would be basic things like providing money for housing and, and making sure that people are able to stay in their homes, uh, being able to make car payments, uh, being able to uh, uh, access additional funding to, to meet uh, medical and other bills. Um, and I would distinguish that from uh, the legal fee, since the consumer in these kinds of cases are virtually always on a contingency. There's, there's not a requirement for the consumer to to access money to pay the lawyer, this is money that simply allows the consumer to meet their, meet their basic living needs uh, and, uh, and essentially stay stable during the course of their, uh, their claim. Robert Holly, you're admitted to practice law in California in addition to being uh, deputy director of the state bar. What is the regulatory and statutory framework that applies in the circumstances of legal funding to give our listeners kind of the, the reverse background? Sure. I, in, I mean, I think we, we really need to start with this back in, in merry old England um, because the, uh, the history of third-party investment in lawsuits goes back that far. Um, and, and it was a crime, essentially. I mean, we're talking about medieval England. Uh, colorful terms from the common law like champerty, maintenance, and baritry were used. Um, and the idea was that an, uh, an individual's uh, legal right was the individual's right, and the individual brought it or, or didn't, you know, and if the individual couldn't afford to do it, you know, too bad. Um, that was the perspective, and that, that actually is still somewhat more of the perspective in Europe and in England than it is here. Um, in the United States, we, of course, derive our system universally from the British system, but the approach to, to litigation and lawsuits here has evolved differently. Uh, and while we carry forward these, these concepts of champerty, maintenance, and baritry, the idea is that, um, again, a claim is an individual's claim, and they should choose to bring it or not bring it if, as they individually choose. But the idea in this country is, is that if justice is dependent on, on access, and the access is dependent uh, to some extent upon money. And we developed here originally the contingent fee, um, you know, which is a, a becoming more common, but was certainly a, not a common concept, you know, elsewhere in other countries. Um, and that that's basically allows a lawyer to invest in the client's case in order to let the, the client get 
legal services, and it's done in the name of access. Um, the contingency has its problems. It creates a real conflict of interest between the, the lawyer and the client in terms of independence of judgment, because the, the lawyer buys into the end result, um, and that could, could influence judgment. Um, you know, generally speaking, around the country, um, this idea, and as far as I could tell, I've, I've seen commentary, you know, from the early 90s on this stuff. Um, there's a, a, a very good uh, article by a, a Hofstra Business School um, professor, Susan Lord Martin, that's in the American Business Law Journal, that was a very carefully considered treatment of this. And then the Los Angeles County Bar Association has an ethics opinion on this subject as well from 1999 for your listeners that are interested. And these are good, good solid reviews of, of the whole history here. But... But basically, the reception to this idea has been cool, I think it's fair to say, uh, by the courts and by the legal profession in many respects. Um, suspicious, you know, about the role that money will play. You know, money that comes, you know, from, from others who have some interest in, in a profit, you know, as opposed to, you know, good public policy, you know, the outcome of the case, um, and other things. And there's a concern, I think, that, that goes back to the old concern that, that money... Money talks. You know, money is a powerful force, and when money comes flowing into to some place, um, it could, you know, interfere with the administration of justice, with the lawyer's judgment, you know, with uh, any number of, of principles. And and I think it's fair to say also that the regulatory structure here, and you know, has not evolved to address this. Uh, I mean, I think that the court decisions and ethics opinions generally look at this with quote disfavor. I think we might say, although they can't say that it's illegal or unethical to do as long as it's done correctly. Well, we, we uh, want to bring in Ron Kramer. Ron practices personal injury law, and he's, he's recommended this uh, kind of funding to his clients. Ron, tell us uh, what it is, uh, how it is that you see this uh, as, as uh, a, benefit to, a benefit to your clients and, and uh, how you see it working in a litigation context. Sure. Well, you know, in Utah as well as other states, uh, lawyers are forbidden from loaning money to their clients. Um, so we don't loan money, but and, and it's not a loan, it's called an advance, and it's a non-recourse type advance, but it's helped in, in a number of situations where my client has come to me, uh, for example, and said, I need you to settle my case now. <laughs> I need money, you know, I'm about to get uh, evicted, I'm about to lose my car, um, just a number of, of reasons. And it's helped me buy a little more time in working up their case and perhaps them finishing treatment. I've had some clients that are still treating and say, hey, I need to settle my case right now. And I, and I say, look, your case isn't ready to settle unless your, your treatment's done. We have a handle on your medical condition. And because of their economic duress, they just want the money so they can pay off their bills or other obligations. And so this type of advance for the client helps me to, uh, you know, work the case up to uh, have the time that I need to negotiate uh, a fair settlement and it provides the client relief in the form of, you know, some, some money to pay these, these needs that they have at the time. And, um, you know, I don't go into these uh, advances lightly. I always say, look, if you have other options, you should look into them, such as uh, loans from family members. Uh, maybe you can uh, sell some of your property and things like that. Uh, sometimes involves selling their house, you know, just to come up with uh, money so they can live on and, and survive with. And so, but when they're backs against the wall, these are these are great um, vehicles to get them uh, some of the financial resources they need just to, to just to make it through. 
Well, what are the implications for the client? I, I, I hear Gary saying these are non-recourse loans and explaining that that means that if there is no recovery, there is no repayment. Uh, I guess loan wasn't even the right word, advances. Uh, but what, what are the terms if, if there is a recovery? Are these uh, repaid at, uh, at uh, high interest rates? Or, or what, how exactly does it impact the client? Um, as far as these advances go, I, I sort of compare this to uh, the payday caching places that are popping up everywhere. In fact, in, uh, my, my wife is a, a, a city council member, and um, there's concern about there being one in every corner. And so uh, some of these cities have set limitations on the number of uh, check caching places um, that, that are out there. But if you compare this service to a check caching place, this is a far superior method for uh, a client's um, financial needs be taken care of. First of all, you don't have these caps that these places do. Typically, I think they, they lend out between 750 and 1000 sometimes more. Um, but the terms are very onerous. Um, interest is usually in the five to 700% range. And uh, repayment starts uh, about two weeks or so after they take out the, uh, the loan. Uh, and these are, in fact, loans. And so uh, they are obligated to pay them back, whether they win their case or not. And um, when you compare it with um, a product such as what Oasis uh, offers, uh, I would say it's a much better way for them to uh, meet their needs. The interest, for example, is much lower. It's still it's still high compared to our standards. You know, we're 18% credit card. That's a lot of money for us, but um, you know, it's actually quite low um, in in the context of needing emergency money. What is the interest rate? Um, they could probably tell you, but according to, to the math, according to the math that I've done, it, it, uh, if you do it for a six-month term, it's about eighty percent. From a regulatory standpoint, um, this is um, Bob Hawley at the State Bar. Uh, I wanted to make a couple of observations. Uh, Ron mentioned that um, uh, in Utah and elsewhere, lawyers are, are prohibited from lending money to their clients, and that's true under the American Bar Association model rules, which most states adopt. Um, uh, however, California has distinguished itself by uh, not adopting that standard, and in California, lawyers are specifically allowed, in addition to using contingent fees to, to loan money to clients for this very reason, um, that, um, that access to the courts can be problematic when a client you know, is, lacks the ability to, to support themselves. To just rattle off a bunch of you know institutional concerns, you know, from the practice of law as to what uh, these ethics opinions and other commentators say are are issues um, here is you know a concern about the lawyer's duty of loyalty to you know, when you have an outside investor paying for anything involved in the lawsuit it, it, that could influence the lawyer one way or the other. Um, it's the client that is the uh, the focus, not the case. So, you know, a, a client should be able to change their minds and do whatever they may want to do with a case, uh, irrespective of, of what others, you know, may may want to do based on their economics. Confidentiality, you know, obviously, if someone's going to be loaning money on on a on a case, they're going to need to know about, you know, the sort of the inside track, you know, as to what it's about. And you're now sharing information with some third parties um, that that puts confidentiality uh, potentially at risk. How these things are structured have to be kept away from the attorney's fees because there's something called fee splitting that's prohibited. Um, what you were just talking about in terms of the, the very high interest rates is a problem. Um, you know, in, in retrospect, a, a client may look at this deal and say, wow, you know, I really got suckered there. And 
if there's a lawyer, you know, around, you know, they may blame the lawyer for not warning them off, you know, of this kind of thing. Um, Gary, is is state regulation a way to address some of these concerns? I mean, I know that Maine, I think, was the first state to, to adopt some kind of was it legislation adopted this year that right. deals with this. I mean, could you talk a little bit more about that? That, 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 that's correct. I think that one of the things that we have to keep in, in, in mind is that the activ- this activity that we describe as sort of an industry now is really only just a couple of years old, so that there, there, were, there were looks at this as sort of an, an academic exercise uh, that were done in you know, law, review, law review journals and, and articles you know, in, the, in the 80s and 90s, but this as an industry has only been around just for a couple of years. For example, we now have a trade association. It's called Alpha. There are 18 members. We believe that that constitutes about 80 to 90 percent of the activity in the industry. The first half of this year, Alpha members did 20,000 transactions, and we, we estimate this year will be you know, probably 50,000 transactions in total. Um, and that would compare with 2004, essentially when the industry association started, when there might have been 5,000 transactions. So this is now a uh, this is now a much more widespread and 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 ex- accepted practice, um, you know, both with with consumer acceptance and with with lawyers, um, uh, you know, participating as as uh, in working with their clients to do this. So the real um, the real look in terms of um, what what are the proper business practices and how should this be regulated really have only come to bear in just the last couple of years. Um, that first started when uh, Attorney General Spitzer looked at this product, uh, you know, just about three years ago and determined, you know, one, he agreed that, you know, one, it wasn't a loan because it's not structured in a way that requires repayment. But two, he worked with the industry and with, with this newly forming trade association to provide, um, to create a, a basic framework of uh, best practices. And that's the, um, that, uh, Spitzer um, uh, framework is now um, what's being used, and uh, as states are, are are starting to look at this an activity that should be uh, regulated by statute. And as you as you uh, mentioned, Maine being the fast the, the first one um, passing a statute um, uh, that the governor signed just uh, in the last 60 days. Um, the the basic kinds of protections that um, are are going to be important. Um, are uh, some of them I, I'd say would be the the kinds of uh, consumer protections that one would expect with any basic uh, consumer finance transaction. Those would be things like a right of rescission, so the consumer can change their mind at no cost um, after after a short period of time. Um, a plain language requirement, so the contract is written in a way that uh, a consumer can can understand its terms. Um, uh, the Spitzer arrangement and 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 the main law, for example, would require that the the costs of the transaction be be laid out in a specific manner that would make um, uh, make the, the cost of the transaction the transaction transparent to the consumer with respect to what fees are being charged and how much they would they would owe back in any period of time. Um, the uh, the other kinds of uh, things that um, are a part of this practice being regulated um, deal with the interaction with the attorney. And, um, for example, in Maine, they made it very clear that uh, the, the, the litigation funding provider has no right and will not make any decisions with respect to the underlying action and that the decision remains solely with the consumer and the attorney. Well, Ron, um, can we take a look at that from the practical standpoint? How does... 
how do you disclose uh, the existence of this funding and discovery, and how do you go about protecting the attorney-client privilege yet allow an analysis by the funding institution? In discovery? Yes. It's never actually come up uh, with me in discovery. I think um, the cases that I have had, I think I've had two um, advances in cases that are actually in discovery and litigation, but the issue hasn't come up in those cases. Um, you think there, is there a duty to disclose it? Well, of course, you respond to the uh, questions uh, put to you. If they ask uh, questions about um, advances, you know, I think we can disclose it since we don't consider it a loan. I don't know if uh, there's a duty to uh, disclose it if they're asking about loans. Um, that honestly hasn't come up in, um, in my cases. It's time for us to take a, a short break. We can talk more about this in just a second, so please stay with us while we have a few words from our sponsors. We invite you to visit Law.com for timely legal news and in-depth resources. From daily headlines to practice-specific updates, Law.com provides up-to-date information to those working in the legal profession. As part of its coverage, Law.com is proud that J. Craig Williams' blog, May It Please the Court, and Robert Ambrogi's blog, Law Sites, are part of its blog network. Don't wait any longer. Visit Law.com today and get free subscriptions of our Newswire newsletter with the top legal stories of the day. Or sign up for a free trial subscription to one of our Practice Center sections. If you found us in the podcast library of iTunes, thanks for listening. Check out some of our other shows at LegalTalkNetwork.com and become a member. It's free. Lawyer to Lawyer is produced by the Legal Talk Network and a staff of broadcast professionals. If you have an idea for a topic or a show, we want to hear from you. Go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and send us an email. If you have a comment or question, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message on the Legal Talk Network listener line at 781-634-8959. We really do listen to the messages and even answer your questions on our next show. Did you know that Legal Talk Network podcasts are also available as CLE? Visit Law.com's CLE Center at www.clecenter.com. That's CLECenter.com to enjoy listening and get CLE credit. Check out our Lawyer to Lawyer host blogs, J. Craig Williams' blog at mayapleasethecourt.com, Likewise, Robert Ambrogi's blog at LegalLine.com for daily legal observations, perspective, and, of course, a healthy dose of humor and wit. A video settlement documentary can be the most powerful and persuasive way to bring about a speedy settlement in your client's case. The Boston Media Group has a staff of television professionals with 20 years experience writing and producing compelling stories just like the ones you've seen on 60 Minutes or Dateline. We put a human face on the lawsuit with compelling interviews, dramatizations, and visual presentations of the fact. Think of it as a video opening argument that will compel the attorneys on the other side to settle. Call us for a consult at 800-317-5221. That's 800-317-5221. Or check out our website at bostonmediagroup.com. Welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. I'm Craig Williams. And this is Bob Ambrogi. We'd like to welcome back our guest, Gary Chodes, the founder and CEO of Oasis Legal Finance, Robert Hawley, the Deputy Executive Director of the State Bar of California, 
who cautions that he's speaking on his own behalf and not that of the bar. And also Ron Kramer, a plaintiff's attorney out of uh, the state of Utah. What is essentially the uh, the biggest issue that you face, Ron, when you're dealing with uh, clients? Do you have uh, an independent duty? Do you do you advise them to get independent counsel? How does the whole process of getting a client or uh, recommending to a client that they investigate legal funding occur? Well. Uh First of all, I need to say that I, I usually try to talk my clients out of it. Okay, as I mentioned earlier, I, I find out if they have other options available to them, such as through their family, maybe selling property that they have. Um, but you know, through my investigation, through my fact finding, if I find out that their backs against the wall, they really have no other resources, then I, I talk to them about you know this option that might be right for them. I have a, a client that uh, is needing some surgery, for example. He has no health insurance. And um, his PIP was almost run out, and and um, the question is, well, how can I, you know, these doctors don't operate on a lien, you know, how in the world am I supposed to get any medical treatment, and uh, you know, with, without these resources? And so at that point, you know, I, I explain this as a possible option to them, as something they might want to consider, and and getting past this impasse. A lot of times you have these impasses in these cases where they can't move forward, you know. And the insurance company is not going to say, hey, okay, no problem. We'll write you a check for, you know, the amount of surgery, your physical therapy, things like that. No, that doesn't happen. I mean, the reality is that a completed surgery and treatment is always worth more in settlement um, than one that's anticipated or forecast. And, uh, you know, they'll just pay pennies in the dollar for a forecasted surgery. And so the issue is, you know, can they get to that point in, in getting the procedure that they need so they can get better and so they can get on the road to recovery? And uh, in, in quite a few situations, this is, a, this is an option for them to, uh, to get that recovery, get the finances so they can at least, you know, arrange a payment plan. And these advances aren't going to pay the whole cost of a surgery, for example. But they're enough, for example, to get on a payment plan with the doctor, the hospital, and uh, and get it scheduled and, and get it get it done. Bob Holly, you have um, kind of a finger on the pulse in California in terms of the legislation that's pending. Do you see something down the road, and uh, do you see any types of abuses that may occur in legal funding that would lead to some heavy-handed regulation? Well, I mean, I think that uh, that this is an area that it has, you know, potential for abuse, um, and you know, it 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 is something that that has the potential for some good because access to justice is dependent upon economic resources. Um, I mean, I, I I'm I'm a professional regulator, you know, so I think regulation is good. I don't think that regulation should um, you know interfere with um, with good business, but. Um, but I think that that the kinds of standards that were were mentioned earlier by um, by Gary that are evolving are are for the good. And I think that one of the things that's interesting, and I, I have a question for Gary um, because it was mentioned earlier by Ron that um, you know in, in Utah and under the ABA, as I said, uh, loans from the lawyer in him or herself are prohibited. Whereas in California, the rules of professional conduct explicitly allow the lawyer, along with a contingent fee, to enter into a loan agreement with the client to fund the case, which, which has its own separate problems as well. Um, but I'm curious as to whether the ABA standard that exists in most states and the, the prohibition on loaning money to clients is, a, is somewhat of a driving force or a gap that, that this fills, um, or, or whether it's something more and beyond that alone. 
Okay. Robert, you bring up an excellent point. My um, my understanding, and I'm and I'm not an attorney, so I, I want to qualify it with that that statement. My understanding is that, um, with the exception of perhaps Texas and Utah, the the um, those are the only st two states that that I know of that allow the attorney to provide money to the consumer for living expenses. So I'm distinguishing that between um, attorneys who are able to provide an advance for the cost of litigation, be it you know. Uh, the cost of experts or the cost of um, depositions and, and, and things related directly to litigation. I believe in most states, um, the attorney is able to make an advance with, you know, on, on the uh, consumer's behalf, and then there's maybe a question of how that gets paid back or whether it gets paid back. But we're, we're not talking about the cost of the litigation. In, 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 in every state, um, litigation for personal injury claims, be it auto accidents or workers' compensation or other, is being conducted on a contingency basis. That's that's the norm, and um, the types of consumers that need access to those legal services simply don't have the money to pay current legal fees. They need money for living expenses, and that's the service that that the legal funding industry um, provides by providing money to you know pay the rent, to to you know keep the car so they can keep their job, pay for medical bills. It simply puts the consumer in a, in, in the the best position. To work with their attorney to get you know to get a, 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 a reasonable or better outcome. You know, it doesn't mean that it's going to make the case better than it already was. The, the claim is the claim, but it simply um, gives the um, it empowers the consumer and their attorney to be able to think over longer time frames to make better decisions. Um, but that money is not going into the case. Gary, what what sort of analysis do you go through to decide whether to advance funding in a case? Well, I, I think that if you if you if you look at, a, at, at look at what the industry is doing, I mean, it's primarily meeting the needs of consumers who have sort of the most typical kinds of claims, and those claims are relatively small, and the advances are relatively small. So, for example, you know, a typical advance that Oasis might make would be between uh, two and five thousand um, dollars. We're able to make that sort of, of an advance on you know on, on a limited amount of information, um, and it's it's very important to. to to note that we're never asking for privileged information, and we and we shouldn't ever get privileged information. So um, that that issue that was brought up about attorney-client privilege, we're we're never going to ask for that, and we and the attorney should never give us that. Um, but the the basic information that we would need would be you know something like um, confirming that the attorney represents the the, the consumer, uh, some confirmation if it was you know for example an auto accident that the accident occurred you know like the um, the the, the uh, the, the accident report provided by the uh, uh, the local uh, 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 the local police report, which is sort of a public record uh, document, anyways, um, and then some information about the level of injury, particularly if it's a, if it's a, the claim's a little bit larger. Beyond that, we really don't need to to know much because these are not cases where you're typically um, battling on you know legal theory X versus legal theory Y. These are people who've been injured and. The value of the case is, is, is often a function of, um, you know, the, the extent of the injury. Do you, at any point in time, uh, loan money to attorneys, or is this simply a consumer service? Uh, what we're referring to here is a consumer service. There are, diff there are different products that, that, that where, you know, credit facilities are provided to law firms for, for various things, including litigation. But I think in terms of the, the topic that we're focused on here, this is the consumer product, and this is the one that um, is is growing most rapidly, and I think it's the one, you know, as Robert said, it's, it's the one that regulators, um, 
you know, need to be most aware of and be, you know, uh, thinking about because it deals directly with the consumer. And, and, and we agree, both Oasis and our trade association, that, that regulating this activity is a good thing. It will um, set a, a proper um, set of best practices, you know, in, 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 you know, in codified form so that um, the, these things are being done in, in a proper way with full disclosure, with a set of rules, and with um, the, the, the sort of proper guidance from, from the attorney. And, and one of the things that's important is in, in both the Spitzer arrangement and the main arrangement and, and other bills, because there, there will be more, you know, in, in, in the next legislation, legislative sessions as they come up, other states will, will be addressing this. Um, it's very clear that the consumer should be um, uh, advised um, early on to consult uh, legal and, and other advisors, sometimes a, a, you know, a financial advisor. But um, it's not clear that the attorney who's litigating their case is always going to be in the best position to do that. So um, we want to um, make a distinction between getting advice about either the contract or the ramifications of of taking the money or one financial product versus the other um, and distinguish that from the, the litigation advice they're getting from their attorney. And the attorney providing the litigation services may be in a great position to do all that, but it may be somebody else. And we want to make sure that, that the consumer and the attorney are essentially, um, you know, letting the consumer know that they may want to um, get some other advice. We are uh, about out of time for this program, but before we, and we'd like to give each of you an opportunity to offer some final thoughts and, and also to tell our listeners how they can find out more about you or get in touch with you. Uh, Ron Kramer, let's let's start with you and, and give you an opportunity to just offer some final thoughts and uh, any contact information you care to provide. Sure. Um, I could just say that, you know, using not necessarily Oasis's product because I used other um, uh, similar services, but it, it does help me as an attorney to uh, provide value to my client uh, meeting their needs. Um, you know, I have a lot of clients that are in desperate financial situations, and, you know, if they come in and I can help arrange this, they're very thankful. Yes, there is interest to be paid. Uh, no one's complained about that. They all know going in that there's going to be interest. It's spelled out very clearly in the form, and and uh, they have that, that right in this country to, you know, enter into these contracts, and, and it helps them to get through a, a tough situation. It helps me as an attorney to uh, you know, provide more value for the case, maybe more time to negotiate with uh, the gesture and, and get more money uh, for my client. So on the whole, I would say it helps me to you know, maximize the value of uh, my client's case. And, um, and uh, you know, I've had uh, good experiences with it uh, so far. Um, if anyone is interested in getting in touch with me, uh, my email are Kramer, K-R-A-M-E-R, at xmission, X-M-I-S-S, ION.com. And Robert Hawley, your final thoughts. I think that um, this obviously is addressing um, uh, an aspect of the practice of law that, that needs to be addressed in terms of, of access. Uh, just like we have a history here with a contingent fee um, that addresses that same issue. Uh, you know, I, I am concerned. Um, money is powerful, and you know, when money walks into the room, most everything else gets displaced. Um, and uh, I think we need to remember that, that, that litigation is not an end in itself. Um, it, it's, it's actually like surgery. Um, you know, it's the, the most radical final step in a problem-solving process that failed. 
And while it's, it, it may be necessary, we don't want to get there too fast, and we don't want to uh, overemphasize it. Um, and litigation is actually the more profitable aspect of the practice of law, because uh, simple problem solving gets done efficiently and, and without a lot of fees and without a lot of costs. And from the bar standpoint, um, I would hate to see uh, litigation um, because of its of its uh, lucrative nature to everybody involved become an end result and a product in itself you know that that gets uh, bartered and traded um, you know as a commodity uh, I think that would be disastrous for the administration of justice and i 'm not saying we 're going there and i 'm not saying any of the people here are there, but I think that that as i said the the power and influence of money in a capitalist system cannot be underestimated. And if our listeners care to get in touch with you or find out oh, more about Oh, um, the State Bar of California, you know, I'll, I'll give you the, the bar's website. It's www.calbar.ca.gov. Uh, we have a, a massive amount of information on our website for lawyers and uh, members of the public, and uh, I can be reached through that. Some 3,000 pages, I hear. Probably. Um, and, Gary, you get the opportunity to wrap it up with your final thoughts and your contact information. Sure. Um, I, I think this is, uh, you know, it, it, this is a very important emerging new uh, uh, consumer finance product, and it's one that uh, is going to um, come under more uh, regulatory attention, as, as we believe it should, because it's something where um, a set of rules need to be in place to make sure that it's done uh, properly. We, my, my sense is that if we look out over the horizon next, you know, three to five years, Many or most states will adopt statutes that probably look like uh, what was done in Maine, and, and based on the you know the good work that uh, Elliot Spitzer started. Um, the other uh, aspect is you'll see that the companies that uh, participate in the activity will be will be you know stronger and more stable financial institutions um, that'll be typically registered or licensed with the state, so that the regulators will know who's conducting the activity and will be able to monitor. Um, actually what's going on. And your contact information? Uh, sure. Um, I can be reached uh, uh, by email at uh, gchodes, G-C-H-O-D-E-S, at oasislegal.com, O-A-S-I-S, legal.com. Well, thank you very much for participating. We'd like to thank our guests, Robert Holly, Deputy Executive Director of the State Bar of California, Ron Kramer, a plaintiff attorney from Utah, and Gary Chodes, the founder and CEO of Oasis Legal Finance. Bob, it's been an interesting discussion this week, and uh, look forward to seeing you next week. Yeah, thanks again to our guests, and uh, thanks to you, Craig. Look forward to talking to you next week. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer with Robert Ambrogi and J. Craig Williams. We hope you'll listen again and check out our other shows on the Legal Talk Network. Lawyer to Lawyer has been sponsored by Law.com. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.